0: Welcome back to The Middle of Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden.
1: And I'm your other host, Peter.
0: Hey, Peter. How you been?
1: You know, I am hanging in there trying to get through the end of the year, which is always fun. Um, And by fun, I mean it sucks my soul. Because (laughs) that's just the way that the delightful uh, insurance machine of America runs. You know, not everybody, but the vast majority of people have met their out of pocket max and are desperately trying to get anything elective done before the end of the year. And so I've literally had people this week who are like, you know, I'm talking about, okay, you know, we should do this and and we should do this. And, you know, we need to get approval from your insurance for this. And then we can look at getting this done and then do this. And they just look at me dead ass serious in the eyes and they go, and you can do that all before the end of the year, right? And you're like, dog, no. I'm like, no. And it used to be difficult.
0: There is, in fact, no physical way.
1: <laughs> it, it used to make me feel bad. And I think one of the things that I would uh, I would point out as personal growth as a physician and surgeon is the ability to look somebody in the eyes and say to them, I know you've met your deductible, but so have about 3,000 other people who I take care of. So, yep, there you go.
0: It's a real bad system. But, you know,
1: it's so broken. It's so broken. Um, But, yeah. So, just trying to get through the end of the year, and um, the end of the year is getting close. So, I feel— nice. But yeah, you know, just trying to make it through the end of the year, finish off with that, uh, have a little time off after, uh, after or, or right before New Year's, and then through the first week of the new year, and that will be really nice to have. So yeah, that's how are exciting. you doing?
0: It's very quiet now that the semester is over, and this is in no way a complaint. This is in fact a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, but it's very quiet. I'm, you know doing a lot of recharging, preparation for the spring semester, reading a lot of books that I will not bore the audience with because I'm going to guess, audience, you do not care about Facilitating Change in Higher Education, the Departmental Action Team Model by Courtney and Guy, Joel C. Corbo, Fal- Karen F. Falkenberg, Chris Jenny. Genial- okay, it doesn't matter. You ain't going to care about this, so I'm not going to tell you all about this, but that's what I'm reading. Very it, nice. It's f- Fun. No, it's not. No, it's not. But I'm learning a lot. <laughs> anyway, uh, what you been up to? You've, you checked out anything in pop culture worth mentioning?
1: Um, Yeah, I did finish book 12 of The Wheel of Time. Yay! And it started to get pretty exciting at the end. And things actually started to happen that I, uh, I'm finding interesting. So I think I can officially say... I am excited to get to book uh, 13. I haven't quite had time to do that yet, though, because, you know, like 30 days ago or so, I was reading some article and it was talking about um, how one of the best ways to avoid uh, sort of stave off dementia and keep your brain young was to learn a new language. So uh, most of my free time lately... I'm learning, I'm trying to learn German.
0: Okay. Okay. Why German? Doing
1: more because I initially was like, what should I pick? And the easy, you know, there was a part of me that was like, I'll just do like French or Italian or Portuguese. And I was like, that's cheating. And so then I was like, I don't know. I mean, German, maybe I just wanted to listen to Rammstein in the German and understand them. Oh, there you go. No, but really, I didn't have a good reason for German other than I was like, you know, I know that English does have a fair number of kind of, there is quite a bit of, of Germanic roots to sure. English. And so I thought, I don't know. I was trying to think of of what was there that seemed like something that is not exactly useful. It's not like I'm going to ever run into people who speak German. Sure. Although there is one scrub tech who does. So I could talk to her in German. I don't have a good explanation other than I looked at it and I, out of the choices I had, I thought, huh, let's try German.
0: There you go. I, so, I I hope it's going well for you. What, what are you using to, to learn it?
1: Oh, I'm just using Duolingo. You know, you know,
0: that is okay. There's nothing wrong with Duolingo. Here's the thing. Duolingo sucks only because of its annoying ads and, um, overwhelming desire to, make you, um, pay for Duolingo pro or whatever the hell it's called. Um, And
1: because I am a sucker and I hate ads, I paid for super Duolingo. So I didn't have to get any of those things so I can just sit down and I can just do lesson after lesson after lesson and I never get interrupted. So I'm quite enjoying it.
0: Well, this is a fun thing to know that you've been doing this because I also have been using Duolingo to try to learn a language the last few weeks.
1: Nice. And what have you been learning? Japanese. Uh, I have a friend who saw me on Duolingo and called me and he was like, dude, you should join me and do Japanese. And I said, maybe I'll get my German done first. But I have a friend who just literally a couple days ago he, he called and told me I needed to do Japanese on Duolingo. Nice. How is it going for you?
0: It's going okay. I'm not paying for super Duolingo so every <laughs> single time that I than me yeah, every single time that I finish a thing then it makes me watch like a 30 second video about like don't you wish you didn't have to watch this video where <laughs> we have all of the characters from your little lessons in a car together? And uh, my answer to that is no. I don't want to pay you $5 a month or whatever
1: the hell it costs, so no. Yeah, there you go. Anything else you've been checking out? Um, Not really. I'm trying to think. You know, Interestingly, there isn't a ton of new music that has come out. Uh, at the end of the year, uh, often there isn't a bunch that comes out. Uh, I've been kind of going back through and looking at the albums and the music that came out in this last year to sort of help myself figure out what were my favorites. But, um, oh, wait, no, I will take this back. There is an album that I'm kind of obsessed with. Okay. And I've only known about it for two days. And it is called Dark Christmas. And it is by Tarja. Tarya Tarunan, who used to be the lead vocalist of Nightwish and got kicked out in, what, 05 or something. Oh, okay. She's Sorry. released this Christmas album, and it is so spectacularly horrible <laughs> that it is delightful to share and inflict on other people. That good, huh? She has an excellent voice, and so it is, it isn't that, but it's the fact that, like, Frosty the Snowman... Is this like haunting? Like, I don't know. You'd expect it to be in like some Friday the 13th or something movie. And it's just so... There is just this this disconnect between the music and then these songs that you know.
0: That sounds terrible. She doesn't...
1: Uh, oh, it, it is amazing. You need to go check out some of these. She does a version of All I Want for Christmas Is You that we decided... It was like, again, I think as we were listening to it as a family, Gareth made the joke. He's like, this is like, all I want for Christmas is to murder you. So,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. It's fantastic. She sings the first, the first verse. And then on the second, as she starts singing, there is a creepy child's voice who is speaking the words over her singing.
0: Hell Yeah sounds it is terrible. so bad
1: it is fantastic and i have been inflicting it upon everyone every opportunity i get so that i can take joy in their horrified faces as realization dawns as to what they are listening to well that that's really about it
0: i'm going to i'm going to i've noted it it's open in my tabs on my uh, browser so that when we're done i can go um, subject myself <laughs> to this and then likely walk right into the other room and say, Hey, my dear wife, my dear, sweet, brave wife, prepare to suffer. And then just hit play.
1: I am so excited for you to share with me your reaction. Oh, oh! I once will. you do that, I, I will. But what about you? What have you been checking out lately?
0: So um, been working on Japanese. Like I said, um, it's going pretty well. No. Uh, I I'm learning some of my hiragana pretty. Okay. Um, We'll see how that goes. It's it's happening. I'm I'm it's here's the thing. What does the German one start you with? Does this start you with like the most like vaguely insulting things for you to be learning?
1: I mean the German one started with me knowing how to go into a cafe and ask for beer, wine, coffee, milk, water, and bread.
0: Okay, so they are going from the exact same thing because it is teaching me how to walk into a to a uh, cafe and order sushi, rice, tea, uh, water, uh, and all of the other stuff that goes with ordering the most <laughs> stereotypical food, sushi. It's like, come on, you could at least like have me say something besides just sushi over and over again. But whatever, it is what it is. I, it is. Um, anyway, so I've been doing that, uh, in terms of music, I have to share with you something that I have been obsessed with for the past week in a good way. Um, okay. not in a terrible way. Like you talked about, it sounds like this, uh, Tarya Tar- Tarunin or whatever her name is. Um, I have been obsessed with the music of an artist called, Toyota, or oh, let me pull it up. It is uh, 2003 Toyota Corolla. That is the name of the artist.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And what 2003 Toyota Corolla has done is released a couple of albums and a couple of EPs and one album of B-sides. And what these albums have on them uh, are songs that are named after different model years of of Toyota Corollas. So the first album they ever put out, 2003 Toyota Corolla, was the self-titled album, 2003 Toyota Corolla, which features the banger tracks, 2003 Toyota Corolla, 2004 Toyota Corolla, 2005. You get the idea. Um, (laughs) And the thing is, is this is like the weirdest, grimiest vaporwave that I have ever listened to. It is the weirdest stuff in the world. Because some of the tracks are like these haunting soundscapes that sound like the music of a distant planet. It sounds like you're listening to the soundtrack of Homeworld, the video game Homeworld. Mm -hmm. Some of them sound like the hold music on some nondescript corporate phone line, but fuzzed out to oblivion. And some of them sound like the sexual harassment training video that you need to listen to every three years as you re-up your sexual harassment training and like it is so particular in the way that it evokes these sensations and these like sentiments in a way that i've never found in vaporwave before because usually the vaporwave is like yes this sounds like the hold music of 2007 verizon but then i put a beat to it and threw some vocals over the top in japanese that you don't understand like that's what i normally expect from vaporwave especially the vaporwave i listen to which is often more future funk future funk inflected not so here sometimes it's a 30 minute track called 2001 toyota corolla that sounds like the sort of thing you would hear if you were trapped on an alien planet And it's the weirdest shit I've ever heard. I am super into it. (laughs) I am thoroughly enjoying myself. It is about the best background music you could possibly turn on because sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's extra scary when it sounds like you're on hold again. And it's just a very, very, very strange thing. And I don't know why they did it. I don't know why this artist exists. I don't know how they chose their referent of the toyota corolla but i'm glad that it exists and we're up through (laughs) 2001 through 2019 here's to hoping we get a few more years out of this no doubt and then the other last thing i will mention um i was walking to work the other day at the comic book store and as i was walking to work i walk past the little free library that is in our neighborhood And every Uh time I walk past the little free library, I just glance really quickly in the open door or in the closed door. It's got a window just to be like, Oh, what's, what's in there lately? You know, I've walked past and been like, Oh, there's a copy of Dune. How fun. I hope somebody enjoys that. Or, Oh, there's a copy of the five love languages. I'm sorry to whoever picks that up and thinks that crap is real. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but I've never taken anything out of it. But as I was walking past on the way to work on Saturday, I saw half of a logo that just said I'm in love and I was like what's that and then I got a couple steps past and I was like I'm pretty sure that's the half of the logo for the uh, light novel and or manga series I'm in love with the villainess which I've been meaning to read. So I stopped turned around, popped that little free library open, and sure enough, it was the first manga volume of the uh, series I'm in Love with the Villainess. Um, okay. Which is, it's uh, it was a light novel series first, then there's a manga that's ongoing right now, and the dramatization of the show, the animation just ended, I think, Sunday is when the last episode came out, and I don't think it's done very well. I don't think it's going to get an extra, or another season, which is kind of a shame because... I've heard from friends who have read it that it goes to some real weird places. But uh, the premise of this book, um, this is an isekai book, which I normally hate isekais. I have I don't know if I've talked about it here, but I've often talked about it with my uh, coworker at the comic store. Do you know what an isekai is, Peter? I do not. So an isekai is a really popular genre of Japanese fiction um, about... What happens if you wake up and you're in a different world? And often it ends with you dying in this world and then you get reincarnated into the other world or something. It's often dumb plot contrivances. The The most famous of these is you trying to save someone from getting hit by a car and you get hit by the car and then you wake up in a fantasy world where every woman has double H breasts like... That is normally what an isekai is. <laughs> Jeez. Like, they're normally just absolute dog shit, just the worst stuff you uh-huh. could possibly imagine. But every so often, they're kind of fun. And this was one that had been recommended to me my friends, and I was like, I really hate Iskai's, and they're like, this one's pretty okay. The premise of this one is there is this normal office worker who loves to play otome games, like like uh, visual novel games, that where you have to choose who you want to date and like make sure you get their affection up and like you know make that love connection by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And she has been playing this one called Revolution. It's her very favorite one. And she goes to sleep one night and wakes up, and she is now embodied in the protagonist. But here's the situation she keeps playing this game where there are three love interests these three brothers she doesn't care about any of these brothers she cares about the rival the love interest rival the villainous of the game and she's in love with her and so now she has been transported to the game world and she's like I don't give a shit about these guys. I'm in love with you. You're the, you're everything I've ever wanted. You're mean, you're haughty, you're rich, you're gorgeous. I want you to step on me. And, uh, obviously the girl is like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> it's very lighthearted. It's very goofy. Um, but the first volume was delightful. Um, and so I've ordered some more. They should be here in the next couple of days. I, I, I ordered the rest of the manga that's out. And I also ordered the first volume of the novel. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but apparently it goes to some really weird places where like, this is not an, actually an isekai, the whole thing, both the regular world and the, uh, the video game world are both simulations that were created by this set of lovers who did this to create, like to save the universe. And she's trapped in this cycle of like growing up being sucked into this game and then dying because that's the cycle that she got trapped in by her lover who is the villainess, the other love interest. And then it gets like some real fucked up shit by the end. So I'm very curious to see where that goes. Cause as of right now, it's just light and fun and airy. Um, But apparently it gets real weird. So I'm excited for it to get real weird. (laughs) Well, there you go. But uh, all right. So let's uh, move on and talk about our main event for today. And for at least part of our talking about this main event, we have another guest on. We're working hard here at the end of the year to bring in lots of new voices to the podcast. So, uh, Gareth, uh, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm uh, Gareth, um, Peter Jones' son. Mm
1: <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Welcome Gareth yes. to the pod.
0: Thank you for having me. And we're having Gareth. We're having Gareth on because, as promised last episode, we were able to make it to go see Godzilla minus one. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we felt about the movie um and kind of you know our thoughts on it. We'll probably go into a spoiler thing at the end, but to start off, I just want to ask both you guys how did you feel about this movie that I made you go and see
1: Gareth? Why don't you kick it off? Gareth and I went to see it together uh, last Saturday.
0: Yep.
2: So I thought it was pretty good. Um, didn't really know what to expect cause never actually seen a single Godzilla movie before this, but
0: I was going to ask.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I thought it was really good. You know, didn't seem like a, like a punchy, kicky kind of thing, where it's just Godzilla destroying everything. But uh-huh. it had—I I thought the story was really good too. Yeah, it had like it wasn't like Godzilla was the main character. It was, it just yeah, the the story was really like it was deep, you know.
1: Um, and what did you think, Peter? So, I, um, I was a little. I wouldn't say hesitant going in. Okay. Uh, but I, there was a little trepidation. Uh, I loved Godzilla as a kid. Uh-huh. And would catch it on, whether it was like PBS or maybe a UHF channel or something like that randomly growing up. hmm But honestly, I don't think I have seen a Godzilla movie complete since that really... I don't know, in my mind at least, kind of awful one with Matthew Broderick.
0: Oh, you mean the movie where I sobbed in the theater with you at that theater over by the Kmart in Woods Cross, and it was us and one other person in the entire cinema, and I was sobbing as Godzilla was getting shot with missiles, and I was like, don't kill him, don't kill him. I remember this. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yes, that was it. (laughs)
0: So... And I was fifteen, dear listeners. I was fifteen years old, sobbing at the death of Godzilla in a bad Godzilla movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I do remember that it was bad. Um, so so there was that, and I know you love Godzilla, but I also know that my taste is suspect. As would not, I <laughs> won't say your taste is suspect. <laughs> I would say, look. Listener, one of the entire reasons we thought that it would be interesting for us to start this podcast and do it for almost two years now so far was because we have different tastes and different likes. And I thought that that would be interesting. So I didn't know what to expect. Uh, And to be completely honest, this movie blew me away.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: I have been thinking more about Godzilla minus one than I think I have thought about any movie that I have seen personally, probably at least in the last five years and probably longer than that. I just, I don't watch a lot of movies, so I can't really compare, but honestly, I have been thinking about this movie a ton since we saw it on Saturday and we'll go into why that is as, as we talk about it. But yeah, I, I think this is an absolutely incredible movie that needs to be seen by lots of people. I mean, it, it is it is amazing.
0: And to be fair, it is being seen by a lot of people. I, I, was so, I w- thought it was so funny that, I don't know what the stats were this last weekend, but two weekends ago, the two best-selling movies in the United States were Godzilla minus one, and The Boy and the Heron, the new Miyazaki's new Studio Ghibli film. And it's just like, uh-huh. who It's a. Hey, it's been a rough year for American films. <laughs> it's been a rough one. <laughs> yes. There's been a couple. Yes, there's been a couple real standouts. Barbie was real good. Oppenheimer was the m- most I've ever liked a Nolan film. And there's been a lot of garbage. So it was really heartening to see Godzilla Minus One do as well as it did um, because I was able to go see it a second time last night because it is still playing at the tiny theater near my house because it's doing really well. Um, And I'm excited about that because it means that we'll get more Godzilla movies.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope so. Certainly if they're of this caliber.
0: So, uh, so, So Gareth, tell me a little bit about... So you'd never seen a Godzilla movie before... And it sounds like it didn't maybe meet what your expectations were for what a Godzilla movie was. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Well, because I guess, like, a lot of American movies are just, like, you know, action. So I was honestly just expecting it to be that kind of thing. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Just, like... Yeah, I do. Literally destroying everything instead of it having a story.
0: And to be fair, that does happen in a lot. Maybe most of Godzilla movies they are not i will tell you they are not all as deeply emotionally affecting as this one is there are there are a few that really stand out like this one um but i don't know that any of them do stand out quite as much as this one does uh, yeah. i i don't know if i said this on the last episode or if i just said it to peter before we were recording but yeah. this is definitely in my top three Godzilla movies of all time. And it may take that top spot after a second watching.
2: Yeah.
0: It may have taken that top spot for me. I need to see the other two again, which listeners I'm going to try to convince Peter to watch some more Godzilla movies with me. so we might be getting to those bad boys, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I yeah. just felt like it was a a really affecting Piece of cinema because it was it gave you the spectacle you wanted from saying I want to go watch a big monster mess some stuff up you got that but also you got a very somber very thoughtful contemplative study of survivorship guilt and like What do you do when you feel like you should have died and you didn't die? And like, how does that affect you as a person? How does that affect the relationships that you build with the people around you or don't build with the people around you because you feel like you should have died? And that, you know, and this is a thing that comes up in lots of war movies um, or movies about veterans of like the war might be over but your part in the war isn't over. And that's exactly what we were getting from this film is that feel, um, which is really new for a Godzilla movie. Even the ones that are more serious, less just like, let's destroy some stuff. Uh, There's never really been one that I feel like, Mm -hmm worked this well from the human angle even though lots of them do work well from the human angle this one particularly had something it just had some juice that a lot yeah. of the other ones don't yeah. have and also what did you think of the creature design
2: i mean i thought it was pretty good but it's like it's funny because seeing what it used to look like it just looks so goofy but now it, it's like so much more detailed
0: yeah it's a it's really great design um i'm really exp- uh, impressed with the design. What did you think, Peter?
1: I I thought it was cool because Godzilla is terrifying. Absolutely. To look at in this. And, you know, especially in that scene where he is chasing the little minesweeper ship. Yeah. And you see his great big spiky fins out of the water. And then every once in a while, like the head comes up. I mean, it was like, like, this is like horror movie level, uh, like intensity. And, I mean it, it, and he looks cool. It it the thing I really liked is as Gareth mentioned, a lot more detailed, a lot more to the model mm-hmm. but still recognizably Godzilla. Absolutely. Let's let's go back and let's punch our our little, you know, Godzilla movie that we already talked about because it's a good punching yeah. bag. <laughs> that Godzilla doesn't look like Godzilla at all.
0: No, it's an enormous T-Rex. It's God's largest T-Rex. Yeah. Actually, more and, of a velociraptor that's because a mis- it's got bigger arms. But, like, it doesn't, like, I have a lot of fondness for that movie. Obviously more than you do because I did see <laughs> it at a formative age. Um, of course. And it's it's goofy. It's bad. It's a bad Matthew Broderick performance. I usually really like Matthew Broderick. This is not one of his better performances. Yeah. Um, There's an entire middle plot where they're like, let's really lean into just ripping off Jurassic Park and make a bunch of baby Godzillas that are human sized Mm -hmm. running around Madison Square Garden. It's not good. And the design is really out there. This is just Godzilla. This is just the guy. Yeah.
1: This is the man. And that was that was one of the things I thought was really cool about it is it, it is it is a terrifying version of Godzilla but it recognizably still looks like Godzilla. It retains kind of the key aspects of it. And some of those are almost an intangible thing, but there's, there's enough to it that you look at and you go, yep, that's Godzilla. Yeah. And, and I really and liked that.
0: It's really impressive. Uh, effects work. I think this is a wholly CGI model. They do not have, there's not, yeah, any they didn't even do like a i mean they've done some post model sculpts but they didn't do a pre pre 3d model sculpt at all it was all just created digitally and like you can tell that this is not a movie that has a 250 million dollar budget like Not all of his music is as fluid or music. All of his motion is as fluid and dynamic and believable as the legendary Godzilla movies. Like, I think that those are pretty okay movies. Those new American movies. I think they're pretty fun. The first one, Godzilla 2014, has some real banger stuff in it while being really wooden on the human angle. Godzilla vs. Kong is so dumb but it also has the two boys fighting in a neon soaked cyberpunk looking Hong Kong and just looks incredible. And like, yeah, in that movie, Godzilla just moves like a bear. It just moves like a real embodied creature because they have a $250 million budget. And this movie had approximately 15 to $20 million budget. They haven't been, they've been kind of cagey with the numbers, but like, they said it was a little more expensive than Shin Godzilla was, which had a $15 million budget. So, like, with a budget that small, s- some of the shots are a little dodgy. Occasionally, his movement is a little wooden. But especially, like you said, Peter, that scene where he's chasing the boat, yeah. that felt like practical effect shit. That felt like I was watching Jaws again.
1: Oh, yeah. It was it was terrifying.
0: It's really cool. Well, um, should we get to the spoiler portion and talk a little bit about the bigger ideas about the film and talk about what happens in it. Obviously if listeners, if you have made it this far and have not gone and seen Godzilla minus one, and you have any interest in it, if it's still in theaters hit pause right now, go buy your tickets, come back when you're done because it rules and you should go see
1: it. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a special movie and I don't know that I'm going to be able to completely, explain why it stuck with me so much, but it did. And I think that alone is a reason where if people are curious at all, they owe it to themselves to go watch this movie.
0: It's real good guys. It's real good. And, uh, the doctor's cute. Just go see his wild hair. He's very cute. (laughs) That's the last thing. That's the only spoiler. I'll say the monster scary, the doctor cute, go see the movie. Gareth, you you want to hang out more or
1: you want to bounce?
0: Um, I think
2: I'll bounce. But thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for talking about the movie with us a little bit.
1: Thanks for joining, and uh, and thanks for going with me. Always fun to go to a movie with somebody else, and uh, I appreciate you going with me when we went to go see it.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: Well, and here's the thing, Gareth. I'm gonna make your dad watch more Godzilla movies. So if you feel like watching with them, <laughs> watch him with him. Sounds good.
1: He he watches a lot of these with me. He watched Jim Cotta so you know he's watched Jim Cotta He can watch anything with me.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm here's the thing. I have picked we'll talk about this at the very end. I have hand selected five more Godzilla movies besides this one. Again, with a series of more than forty films in it, so I feel okay about picking five, but there are five real standouts that I feel like if you're interested in Godzilla, you should see these five movies. So you can just watch this with your dad. All right. Well, thanks for joining us.
1: Okay, thanks for joining us, Gareth.
0: Alright, so let's let's break down. We gotta talk details of this film. Listeners, turn back now if you have not seen it and want to and want to go in unspoiled. If you don't care about spoilers, then listen. So this movie is a period piece and is about what happens when you decide not to kamikaze, which is heavy shit. What did you think
1: about this, Peter? Um Again, it was just incredibly engaging. Um, I think I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite know where it was going with that setup. And sure,
0: I mean, maybe maybe we should do a quick synopsis before we get into it. So, real short. Yeah,
1: let's do let's do a short one because again, I don't want to. Even if people, oh, they need to experience this.
0: We've got our main character. Um, uh koichi Shikishima. he is a kamikaze pilot and pretends there's a problem with his plane so he doesn't have to kamikaze goes and lands on an airbase. everyone's like oh so you're just like a sissy huh you didn't do your job you you did not fulfill your honorable duty of dying for the emperor and he's like uh and baby godzilla because he hasn't been radiated yet shows up kills everybody except for him and one other person And he is told to save them, doesn't do it. So he has a lot of survivor's guilt because all these people die because he does not do what he felt like he needed to do because he freezes in the moment. He goes back to Tokyo, finds out his whole family's dead. His whole neighborhood's destroyed. Uh, Eventually finds this woman and a baby who also their entire families have died. They basically become an ersatz family where... They're not really in a relationship, but they all do live together. But, like, it's that, like, there's nothing there. So, like, people need to live somewhere. Um, He gets a job uh, working on a boat that mine sweeps to clean up after uh, the 60,000 mines that were laid around the Japanese peninsula. And as a part of this work, they get sent out, and Godzilla has been destroying boats all through the ocean. They have their harrowing experience with Godzilla, which we described earlier, during which um, a Koichi gets injured. Um, they go back and, you know, are told that they can't tell anyone what's happened as he finally breaks down and explains everything to Noriko, the woman who's been living with him, and she's like... Everyone who survived the war survived for a reason. So if you are alive, you're alive because you were supposed to be alive. And he's like, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe we can build something together. Um, and then Godzilla shows up. Oops. Godzilla shows up, um, destroys Ginza, um, kills Noriko. She dies saving, uh, Koichi's life, um, with his blast ray or with his heat ray. And then goes back to the ocean. The government is in the situation where their hands are tied, um, and so it has to become a community-led effort to try to save the people. And uh, Kenji Noda, the doctor who worked as a as like a physicist, a doctor during the uh, a weapons engineer during the war, who was on the minesweeper boat, comes up with the goofiest, goofiest plan. To kill Godzilla.
1: <laughs> it's so great. I love it. <laughs>
0: and here's the thing. In this very serious movie, this goofy plan still works. The goofy plan is we're going to tie Godzilla up with a bunch of Freon uh, tankers and then turning them like opening them up so that the blowing out of the Freon gas takes Godzilla down into the trench at the bottom of Sagami Bay. Because surely going from zero to 1,500 meters of depth in five seconds is going to really mess you up. In case it doesn't, plan B is we are also going to put a bunch of balloons. <laughs> and so if that if he doesn't die from Smush, then die from the bends. And so they're like, we'll give him the bends. We'll bring him up yeah, real
1: quick. No, yeah, Totally.
0: Um, eventually they're able to do that thanks to the help of some timely intervention of some tugboats and, but he's still alive when he surfaces again, he's clearly extremely injured, and one of the subplots that has been happening is that, uh, Koichi Shikishima, um, has been flying a prototype fighter jet to keep Godzilla's attention away from the boats and to get him into position and things like that. He has, unbeknownst to the other people, had the only other survivor of the Oda attack at the start of the movie fit this uh, this fighter jet with two enormous bombs. And he's like, I'm going to fly it right into his mouth and shut and set those bombs off. And that's what will finally finish him off. So he does exactly that. You, as the viewer, are like, oh, he finally kamikazed. No, Listener he does not. He ejects at the last second and survives. And so everyone is happy. Most of the people survive. Godzilla has been destroyed. He dissolves into nothing. He gets back to land, meets the woman who had been taking care of Akiko, the child, while he was going and doing this, gets a telegram. Noriko survived. So they go to the, um, the hospital And Noriko's alive and they have this like touching reunion. And then the movie ends with two very goofy sequel stingers that we'll talk about a little later. So what are some of the big things that you felt like resonated with you about this film, Peter?
1: So as, as we kind of talked about and and talked around and, um, this is in my, admittedly limited experience. This is by far the most human monster slash kaiju movie I have ever seen. Oh yeah. Godzilla is in the story and is there to help tell the story of these people. And that was what made it so impactful and so affecting. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got a roughly two hour movie and, and I would say that Godzilla is actually on screen. What? 15 20 minutes?
0: Yeah, it's not very much. Um th- and to be fair, this is normal for a Godzilla movie. Uh I, one of the, you know, Twitter accounts I follow that is about Godzilla stuff uh posted a breakdown of like all of the Godzilla movies and like the percentage amount of time spent on screen by Godzilla and it's usually between 8 and 15% and this one's slotted really Really comfortably at about 10% of the movie Godzilla was on screen. That was it.
1: Okay. So I found that very, again, not exactly what I was expecting because I haven't seen many of these. But let's talk about characters really quick. Yes. Because as listeners who have listened know, characters, that's where it matters to me. Good characters, I will forgive a multitude of sins. And I don't care how good something is. If I don't like the characters or feel some connection to them. I do not give a shit about your media, whatever it is. I just don't.
0: Super fair.
1: And so, um, let's talk about, let's talk about Shikishima. I did not like him at first.
0: I think you're not supposed to.
1: I don't think you're supposed to exactly. That was what I wrote.
0: You're absolutely not supposed to.
1: And that was because, so I got home and that Saturday night, I actually had to, I, I wrote up a whole document about my thoughts about this because that was how much it was in my head and I needed to do something to get it out. Yeah. And so that was kind of what I said. I said, I did not like him at first, but I don't think we are supposed to. He has been through a, a psychological, emotional hell and has been severely traumatized and is in a state where he's not a likable person. But we see him grow, and we see as he begins to deal with the trauma, as he takes some steps, sometimes pushed a little bit to take them, but as he takes these steps to heal, he becomes such a real character. I mean, that's the thing. He feels so, so real to me. Absolutely. You know? And. Well, yeah, it's just
0: like. Uh, yeah you're not supposed to t- to like him and that's good and that's normal because like this is a guy who is absolutely traumatized like this is a guy who has an absolutely colossal case of ptsd and like feels like he has failed as a person feels like he has failed as as a citizen um and like you understand how a person would, would be in this situation. It really, yeah, it's really good.
1: Yeah. So, and, and again, he's this character who, and, and this is what I think was done so well at the beginning of the movie. i mean, not the very beginning, but early on in the movie, had he completed a kamikaze attack, had he sacrificed himself, were he gone? You would have been like, Cool. All right. But at the end, when you get that moment and I mean, look, I knew what was coming and I knew what was going to happen, but I was so happy when it did. I was so happy when you did see that it was confirmed that he had ejected and he was still alive. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think that that that's an impressive thing to do in a relatively short amount of time to take this one character who's not the only character, there's other people. Oh, yeah. And so in the time we have with him to take him from this unlikable, broken, um, kind of unlovable character and turn him into someone who I was so, so happy that he had survived. And that's yeah. a that's a feat, you know? That That's an impressive thing to do.
0: Yeah, it's really impressive. And they build just a really like meaningful cast of characters here because and, and, who are all dealing with what it's like to be in post-war Japan in different ways um you know like yeah you've got Shik- Shikishima who feels like he has failed and is not like a real person basically is how it feels like he's acting you know you've got uh Noriko who's like I'm just trying to make things work and like I promised my parents I would survive and I promised Akiko's parents that I would keep her alive. And so like, I'm going to do that. Whereas like Shikishima is just like, I'm alive and I don't want to be where she's like, we're alive for a reason. And so like, she's able to help him come to that realization despite it being kind of rough for a while there. Um, and you know the the crew on the the minesweeper are all great. You love them all, and again, they're all coming oh, from yeah. such different places. The captain, who's clearly just like a grunt who was on navy ships. You've got the doctor who was a designer of weapons, and you've got this kid who's like who was too young to go to war, and so he's like, man, if only the war had lasted longer, and I could have gone. And both uh, shikishima and the um, the captain, whose name I can't think of right now. Um, are both like w- freak out at him because he's like, no.
1: Yeah, do no, not say You that. are
0: so lucky that you did not have to go through what we went through, dog. um And it's just really impactful. um And it's really, yeah. you know, it's the thing I thought. So I saw it twice. Like I said, I went and saw it in the early previews which was great because we went to this like super fancy theater out in the quad cities where they had, it was like one of the four DX theaters. So like Mm, it's a huge recliner that you can lay back in. And the mix was perfect to shake your seat. Every time Godzilla took a step and like when you were water was going on, you were getting misted in the face. It fucking ruled seeing the movie that way. Um, and that it, it, that way of watching it was just like, I just gave into the astonishment.
1: <laughs> sure, um, totally.
0: The second time, watching it again last night, I, I, I still really like it. Don't get it twisted, listener. I still really like it. But my feelings about it are really complicated in that I'm like, I feel like Yawasaki, who is the director here, um, and, or Yamazaki, he's the director and the writer, um, and did much of the effects work. Cause that is kind of his background is in like effects and, and digital work and stuff like that. I got a real mixed opinion on his previous work. That's what I'll say. I got a real mixed opinion on his previous work mm-hmm. because he's done some real good stuff. Like, he did the last uh, Lupin movie in 2019. 29- I guess not the last one. I'm sure they've done another one since then because they make Lupin movies all the time. He did Lupin the Third, the first, in 2019. A very fun Lupin film. A great remake in a lot of ways of Castle of Cagliostro, which is what I think is the best uh, Lupin movie. He also did that, I think, really good but really divisive Dragon Quest movie in 2019. But again, the ones I like of his are a Dragon Quest movie. He's also made some real dog shit like The Eternal Zero, which is a movie about these kids being like, our grandpa was a kamikaze pilot. Let's figure out about it. And it's just one of the most like revanchist, like glory to the empire without meaning to be that way. Like he's just like in his earlier work, it just feels like he's not very smart about like politics and like interiority and trying to figure out what kind of, uh, what what kind of relationship does one have to war, to the things made to do during war and things like that. So I was extremely, extremely ambivalent when I found out he was going to be the writer and director of it because eternal zero is such dog shit and is about a kamikaze pilot set in the same, and most of it is flashback. It's frame story set in the, in the present day, but most of it is World War II period piece. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. The man learned. Sometime in the last decade, this guy figured out politics a little better and somehow walks this very careful line of like national pride and patriotism without being nationalism because it often shows that the government is a failure. The government is not doing what the government needs to do, which is why the people need to stand up and do the thing, which, okay. Yeah. Uh, Problems with it, but I think it works really, really well fundamentally of walking that really careful line of like, how do I tell a story set in the early post-war era where like, Feelings about the former empire are really complicated. Feelings about what does it mean to be Japanese are really complicated. Um, And I feel like he walks that line really, really well in this film. Way better than I expected him to.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: What are some other things that you felt were like really impactful about it or things you really liked about it?
1: Um, Let's briefly talk about Doc. Doc is a delightful character. He's great from the very first. He's so good. And I feel like... I kind of wrote down, I feel like he was supposed to sort of be the beacon of hope for the movie. You know, he is. Absolutely. When there's all this stuff going on and there's bad stuff and like, look, listener, Godzilla is freaking terrifying in this. And Godzilla wrecks some shit. Real scary. And and in the midst of all that, you've got to have that beacon of hope. And that character and his attitude and his smile and everything about him, he was like that every time he was on screen, there was this little part of that. She's like, okay, okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And so he was, he was just delightful. He was, he was marvelous. And I loved him. He was such a good character.
0: Well, and fundamentally, I think you're exactly right in that. Like he does represent like the hope of building a new future. Um, Because, you know, there's a scene where they realize, Uh okay, we're getting some pings on the uh, buoys. We think Godzilla's coming. Based on trajectories, he should be here about 11 o'clock tomorrow. So we got to be ready to go by 8. And then everyone's like, so we're all going to go out there and die, right? And he's like, no, we're going to go out there and live, dog. Like, we are not going to go out there and die. We're going to go out there and figure it out. And like, bring as many people home as we can. And like, that's fundamentally what they do. Like, and he's such an interesting juxtaposition with the doctor character in the first Godzilla movie, which have you ever seen that original 54 Godzilla film?
1: I don't know.
0: Great. That's the first one we're watching because it's the fundamental experience you need to have. Love it. And I think it will be very interesting to watch it having just seen minus one because of the many ways that minus one is in dialogue. And you know, they're all, they're all related to it because it's, they're all fundamentally, whether they're sequels or not, this one's not, but it is a sequel to that first Godzilla film. And so seeing the difference between Mm -hmm. doc Noda and Dr. Sarazawa, who you will see in, uh, in the 54 Godzilla movie, I think is going to be really interesting. Juxtaposing those two men. Um, but there's a lot of things you'll see, like, especially that first scene when Godzilla first comes to, uh, like, to shore, and it starts playing the Godzilla music instead of the other film score that we've heard through the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Dog, that's just, like, not a shot-for-shot, shot, but a feel-for-feel feel remake of the first time Godzilla comes on shore in 1950, in the 54 film. Like... Down to grabbing the train car in his mouth. Like that is shot, not sh- again, not shot for shot, but feeling for feeling, echoing that first film so much. So I think it's going to be really interesting for you to see that first film as a postscript to Minus One. But uh, it's really cool.
1: good. What did you think about The Heat Ray? Uh, it's very cool. And It was very effective in the amount of time it took to build up. Yeah. Because the first time you see it, you're kind of like, okay, okay, what's going to happen? And then it happens and you're like, oh, good Lord almighty. So later on in the film, once you know what that thing can do and he starts powering up for it again. I mean, it is like, Uh like your your heart rate's going up and you're like, oh no, oh no. I mean, it... And so that build up till he gets ready to unleash it is so crucial to creating this palpable tension that just had my sphincters puckering when it's getting ready to go. I mean, yeah. it was, yeah. yeah, that was the part about it that I think it's that, that build up that once you've seen how much damage it does the first time, the next time he starts getting ready to unleash it, you really are. You're just at the edge of your seat going, Oh what is going to happen. This is, this is not going to be
0: good. Absolutely. Uh, That scene where he starts to fire it for the first time and the dorsal fins light up and start coming out of him. I was like, what? Yeah. and, And to be fair, they showed that in the second trailer and I marked out at my desk. Like I remember sitting here at this very desk, watching it at like noon on a, Thursday, or whenever that stupid trailer came out, and like calling Cassie because I was flipping out so much and just leaving her a voicemail of like, I cannot (laughs) express to you how fucking cool Godzilla's heat ray is going to be in this movie. Because, listener, the way that the dorsal fins light up and start to come out of him. And come out and out and out and out as they work up from the tip of the tail to right behind him. And then he leans back, goes forward, and then they pile drive into him. It's a pile driver atomic ray. Yeah. And then he shoots it and it causes fucking mushroom clouds. It's just an atomic bomb in a way that it's never been before. Like it has been an allusion to atomic radiation. It's never just been... Nye no, just shot a nuke out of his mouth. He shot a literal nuclear bomb out of his mouth and it was really incredible effects work.
1: Well, and so it was, and, but here's what makes it so this, again, just things in this movie that made it so impactful to me. You get this really cool, really incredible effect shop. And then you get this absolute gut punch where the blast wave from this Mm -hmm. is just knocking crap down and people are flying and it is coming towards them. And at the very last second, Noriko pushes Shikishima in this alleyway so that he doesn't get hit. And then she's gone. And I thought I was going to throw up. It was so powerful. (laughs) and
0: I oh my but god But that's the thing is it, it is so good and then it like sucks back in a little bit and then Godzilla's just standing yeah. there and Shikishima's the only one there and he just starts wailing and it's so affecting and then the like Rain starts to fall with all of the dirt from the clouds. And he's just like soaked in rain and just screaming impotently at this creature that has now once again taken everything from him. And he couldn't do anything to stop it.
1: It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And but and like I say, that was what made it work so well is because you have this juxtaposition of this big monster thing but then immediately they remind you of the human cost of what just happened.
0: Absolutely. It does a very good job of making the humans present in the scenes. Um which is, you know, yeah. probably easier now that it's not like that we have computer, you know, imagery and things like that. It's a little harder when you're like, "Oh, here's a dude in a suit and here's some other effects work and here's some people running and I got to jam all this stuff together into one shot, which is not lots of moving parts. Um, But I feel like it just works really, really well. Um,
1: Well, it does. And, and you know, I know we're, we're kind of going a little long here, but the thing I want to say again and reiterate is this movie is such a human movie. It is entirely, about the human experience. Yeah. And what it is like. You know, we all go through trauma. And th- hopefully gratefully, most of us aren't going to go through trauma like these characters go through. Yeah. Yeah. But but we go through trauma and we have to deal with trauma. And that is what this movie is about. This movie is about people learning to pick up the pieces to move on, to find ways to heal. And in many cases, find those ways to heal through other human beings. You know, the, the gang of the, the tugboat give Shikishima so much crap about the fact that he didn't marry Noriko. And, you know, they make hints about, look, you can't tell that that's what she wants. And, and that part, the part about it that matters is this is them kind of saying you to, to the, to Shikishima, you need to make human connections. Yeah. That is going to be what heals you. That is going to be what allows you to move on, are those connections that you'll make with other people. And that's a powerful statement. That's a mm-hmm. powerful statement. And
0: fundamentally it is, because a thing we kind of glossed over in the in the um uh, summary is the only other survivor of the Oda Island incident. He gets that person to come and fix up this prototype fighter. And you know, that guy blamed him for all of it. Um, and so he all, he had the survivor's and, guilt and like beats him, but also like feels that he has a person who could pinpoint as this is the reason why, All of these people I cared about are dead. Why all of these fellow soldiers are dead. So he, you know, as they're leaving on a boat from Oda Island, he shoves all of their pictures into Shikishima's hand. And that becomes like almost this totemic item that Shikishima like fixates on as like these are the memories of all of the people who died because of my inaction. Um and so then he gets yeah. that same guy to come and fix it and is like okay you're going to put these bombs on it i'm gonna finally i'm going to do what i was supposed to do before and die nobly flying a plane into something and he that guy who's so mad at him and who hates him so much is the one who's like no i need to forgive you enough to be like look this plane has an ejection seat so when you prime that bomb you pull this fucking lever and you survive. And so to see that relief on his face as he's listening to the radio and hears that A, Godzilla has been defeated and B, Shikishima has survived was just like, that is a, that, you know, he also is going through that same thing that Shikishima has been going through. We've just seen a lot less of it, but he also has that moment where he's like, no, we have survived this and now it's time for us to live. It's really affecting. But quickly, to wrap things up, let's talk about these two real dumb, real wonderfully dumb sequel stingers at the end. (laughs) Okay. First off, first off, Noriko survived, which I was like, okay, that's a little trite, but I'll forgive it because I've liked the rest of this movie so much. That's a little trite for her to survive. You know,
1: it was a little trite, But I also want to tell you, I, I choked up a little bit. I totally did. And then, and then she turns her head to the
0: side and there's a fucking bruise venom symbiote something in the shape of a Godzilla fin, a Godzilla dorsal fin growing on her neck. And then it cuts to black. What the hell's that? What's going on there? What's going on?
1: <laughs> I, I didn't I, know. Nobody
0: knows. That's part of the fun of it. And then it cuts to the top of Godzilla's head. Oh, because Shikishima flies the plane straight into Godzilla's mouth, and then it explodes, and he just gets decapitated. The top half of his head is gone. And then the rest of the body like disintegrates, and then it cuts to that top half of the head like de- deep down in the ocean, and it starts to regrow, and then it cuts to the credits. These are both stupid. Yeah. I do. Here's the thing. I don't want there to be another one. I don't want a follow up. I don't want a sequel. I want this to be done because I want it to leave.
1: Yeah. It stands on its own. And number two,
0: I want to just leave these two. Absolutely. I loved them both because they were both just like, that's some stupid shit. I love that. Don't ever follow up on it. Just don't. (laughs) and to be fair that's Shin Godzilla one of my other favorite Godzilla movies also ends on a sequel stinger for a sequel that has never and will never be made and it's so much better for it because it's so just like really that's how you're going to end your movie and then there's no sequel and it's beautiful and that's what I want to have happen here too but it's just it's good yeah thank you listeners for letting us uh, bloviate about this movie that I think is really special and thank you, Peter, for indulging me. I do too. Uh, and do it too. sounds like it wasn't that much of an indulgence, because indulgence, because it's just fucking rules. It's just a really good movie.
1: No, it is. It is. It is a special movie. It is a special movie that I think, because of the humanity of this movie, people yeah. need to watch it and people need to 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 experience also, it.
0: Also, the monster's cool, guys. It's Godzilla. He's,
1: he is cool. he's my he favorite really cool.
0: character in all of all of uh, media his name tattooed upon my flesh his face tattooed upon my arm like i love i love godzilla <laughs> and listeners this is a real real good one yeah but really uh is. we'll wrap there and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another exciting episode um in the meantime uh leave us a review uh leave us some stars send us an email feedback at the middle of culture.com. And uh, if otherwise, we'll see you in 2024. This is our benedictory episode for 2023.
1: That's crazy. What a one to go out on.
0: Indeed it was. Thanks, everyone. Bye. very interested to hear this bad christmas album dear listener that we will never hear this it sounds terrible and here's the thing i never really liked night Witch as much as other people i didn't like her voice that much i thought it was a little overblown but i feel that way about most of those european metal lady singers Just trying a little too hard trying a little too hard to be darkness ebony ebony darkness raven whatever her name is from my immortal which i know is based off of amy lee but, uh, fact remains. They all just feel like carbon copies of each other. But you're never going to hear this, listener. I'm talking to The Void. And The Void is not talking back. Beep, beep, beep. Yes, listeners. In case, uh, you don't know. Because I don't know how detailed I'll get here in the end. The five films, besides this one. The six the six essential Godzillas, if you will. Godzilla 1954, of course. Gojita. You gotta watch the original. It's great, it's incredible. It's probably the best one still, maybe, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a few years. Minus one's real good. This one might be, it's the first one might be better still. I don't know, I need to watch it. Mothra versus Godzilla. <laughs> this is my girl. That's my girl? She's there. Number three, Godzilla versus Biollante. What if the girl become Alligator Monster Rose? GMK, of course. You gotta do GMK. You're doing Godzilla. And then lastly, of course, Shin. Because that's tied with. Er, t- it's in my top three. Shin, minus one. OG. That's a good top three. I feel like that's a real good top three. Here's the thing you give some really good filmmakers the chance to make a movie, and they do it. And uh, I have complicated feelings about Hideki I don't know, but but uh, he does the damn thing. And shinji higuchi's there to co-direct with him it's a good movie it's real good it's very different it's good hidataki yoshioka what else has he been in oh my god he does not have as good a hair in real life so the question is was that a wig a real good wig or he's just growing shit out and dying? Because in this picture from the Tokyo International Film Festival in 2019, according to his Wikipedia page, he ain't looked that good. He did not look as good as that, which is interesting to me. But what are you going to do? Okay, I've just been talking nonsense because that's what you do.